you know, we're just, we're regular people here just talking about regular old movies. And I think that, you know, people <laughs> will really connect with that. <laughs> yeah, just regular old, Joe you know, whoozy what's it's Just regular people connecting with regular yeah. movies. All right, so this is Unseen Supreme, the non-essential movie podcast. I am John. I'm Holden. And I'm Maddie. And this is our first podcast. Welcome. So why are we called Unseen Supreme? We want to talk about movies. We don't necessarily want to talk about new movies or or, or new releases. We want to talk about movies that we love and have uh, grown up with and that the other two hosts have not seen. That is why it's called Unseen Supreme. Well, and also, it's not essential that you listen to this podcast. It's like you but don't have you- to. You don't have to. But like, you know, we're here. We're, we're going to do it no matter what. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. We're going to be here. Let's go ahead and get into the where we introduce ourselves. Now, I don't like talking about myself. So we came up with a little thing where we would write introduction for the other people and we'd have them read it. That way, we wouldn't have to talk about ourselves and feel weird about that. Yeah, so, we, we all wrote something. Mm-hmm. Maddie, who are you introducing? I will be introducing John. Oh, mm. oh okay. Get ready. Ready? I am ready. All right. That's John. John is a teddy bear who enjoys 80s nostalgia and chewing his cat off his desk. He will try to tell you he's old, but we live in an ageist society, so what is old anyway? John's an accomplished videographer and musician, his greatest honor being capturing me on film in the upcoming feature horror flick, Final Dress. I don't know if if he would tell you that's his greatest honor, but I wrote the bio, so that's his greatest honor. Yeah, I would say that that's my greatest honor. To date, we'll see if anything can top it. Maybe this podcast. All right, well, that's me. How do you think that described you? I don't think there is a better description of me. So going counterclockwise, oh, counterclockwise. we will now go to Holden. Oh, well, now I introduce Maddie. And I, to- I, have a prepared, I have a prepared writing here in my notes somewhere. I will be speaking from my heart about the woman I love. Oh, here we go. Uh, actually, Maddie and I met on the set of Final Dress. Uh, Maddie is an actress extraordinaire. She is a dancer, but I don't think she'll call herself professional. She is a lover of cats. She is a lover of lavender. She is a lover of the color green and maybe the color mustard sometimes. It depends on the day. <laughs> She's from Kansas City. Hail, hail. Paul Rudd, if you're listening, uh, you have a friend in Maddie. You're welcome. He's probably listening. <laughs> I, th- I think listening. as soon as this lands, Paul Rudd will be listening. But yeah, what did I? What did I say? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's from the heart from Holden on Maddie. She's also a singer. She has a beautiful voice, and she likes cheese. Who doesn't? I want to know. Get, call us at two one four three two eight zero four four four, and we want to know if you don't like cheese. I know I'm getting a phone call from my Aunt Lisa. (laughs) I feel like I know Maddie a lot better. Maddie, how do you feel that introduction went? Nailed it. That's me. Do you think I could have said anything different? Yeah, no, we'll talk later. We'll talk later. Uh, All right, so now I have to introduce Holden. I actually wrote mine down because I'm not as good (laughs) of an improver as Holden. (laughs) Uh, Was that good improv? (laughs) Uh, It was the best. All right, perfect. Okay. Born in 1992 and weighing in at what probably looks like 185 pounds soaking wet. Hailing from Arlington, Texas. Named after the main character of a J.D. Salinger masterpiece, a book revered by notable high-profile murderers and would-be presidential assassins. (laughs) A man who he himself is no stranger to government watch lists. A man who wears all the hats, photographer, videographer, designer, fashionista, barista, all the other istas. A man trusted by animals and adored by parents and grandparents alike. Holden Tightroll, Cutie Patootie Foster. Oh, he also has a degree in film studies from the University of North Texas. And he likes to tightroll his I'm jeans. Almost, I'm going to cry. Okay, so let's get into this. 
Initially, we were thinking about maybe talking about three movies per episode since there was three of us, but we thought that that would just be way too much to view Mm -hmm. uh, in a given week. And here's how we decide how this movie gets picked. We have added a game element. So at the end of the episode, the host of of the episode who picks the movie for that week will ask a series of questions. We'll have a little game. And whoever wins that game gets to choose the movie for next week, and they also will be the host for that movie. Since this is our first one, we have decided that I will be picking the movie for this week. I will be hosting this episode and taking us through Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. I've done far worse than kill you. I've hurt you. And I wish to go on hurting you. At the end of the universe lies the beginning of vengeance. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. This movie was the first movie that came to my mind, and it just also happened that neither of you two had seen this movie, correct? Correct. Yeah, I haven't really even delved into Star Trek that much. No. So it's pretty fresh. This movie in particular, which is the second in the series of movies, came out in 1982. Let's talk a little bit about what else happened in 1982 to give you a little context mm. uh, as to this time period. This is 10 years before you were born, Holden, correct? Yes, it, almost exactly, yeah. Excuse my uh, voice break. So in 1982, we saw the release of Michael Jackson's Thriller, which was the biggest album of the year. This is the year that the CD player was introduced. Epcot Center opened in Disney World. It was one of my favorite places. Uh, the Weather Channel went on the air for the first time. The computer was named the Man of the Year by Time Magazine. What a nerd. (laughs) Also that year, we saw come out E.T. and Poltergeist. So this movie went head-to-head with those two juggernauts, uh, both of which were Amblin Entertainment. Also Blade Runner, Rambo First Blood, Conan the the (laughs) (laughs) O'Brien. I want to see that movie. Yeah, me too. Next on the list. (laughs) Conan the Barbarian, The Thing. Also Pink Floyd's The Wall. Came Which out I, in I, I've seen I've seen that as well. I just listened to that last week. All right, so that's everything that happened in 1982. Everything in, that happened in 1982 for you, you know, was just probably blackness. <laughs> Here is the IMDb movie synopsis for Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. It is the 23rd century. The Federation starship USS Enterprise is on routine training maneuvers, and Admiral James T. Kirk seems resigned to the fact that this may well be his last space mission of his career. Second movie in. He's almost at the end of his career. That's kind of where we're at with their agents. But Khan Noonan Singh is back, aided by his exiled band of genetic Superman. Khan, infamous conqueror from the late 20th century Earth, has raided space station Regular One, stolen a top-secret device called Project Genesis, wrested control of another Federation starship, and now schemes to set a most deadly trap for his old enemy Kirk with the threat of Universal Armageddon. What did you think of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan? I, I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun. It felt very 80s nostalgia as, as much as I can be nostalgic about the 80s, you know, not having lived through them. Um, as familiar as in like, we see these things today and to see that when it originally was happening in 1982, like that kind of... Yeah, I mean, putting it up next to, like, a a current movie, right, it it definitely felt a little silly at times. But also, being aware of Star Trek, you know that that's kind of the deal Mm -hmm. and that that was kind of, you know, you have the context of that was new technology back then and, you know, this was a big deal. And even though it seemed a little antiquated, it's, you know, you can still appreciate it. I was really, really blown away, and I'll say this numerous times is I was blown away by practical effects because correct me if I'm wrong, but they had a significantly less budget than the first movie. Right. Right. That was just something that I kept watching was just like the way that the ships lit up, the way that the sky felt like it had life in it, the way that the light glue glue, the the way (laughs) space glowed. It had that beautiful, vibrant, 
you know, violet and magenta and deep blue kind of color to it. All the set pieces seemed really refined and pretty, but there were also like the big buttons that look like kind of like play school toys that the people would kind of be smashing on. And I love Spock's little looks like just plexiglass tablet, but I thought it was really, really fun. I thought it was really cool to connect with Kirk feeling old and seeing his arc through that while having to deal with somebody who I didn't even know about. Um, it was nice coming in, not having any notion of what happened before, what happened 15 years before to Khan. Even for me as a kid, like jumping into this movie, like I, we know now that this, uh, this movie comes from an earlier episode in the original series, mm -hmm. uh, an episode called space seed. This movie kind of jumps into it. You're e easily able to go along for the ride without having any sort of understanding m coming into it. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's easy to catch on to, you know, they do have that little bit of exposition and I think all the characters are pretty clearly cut. They're mm -hmm. all, you know, this particular archetype that it's easy to place names with their positions on the ship and you find out pretty quickly why Khan is upset and his relationship with Kirk. So I, I didn't feel left out not knowing the rest of the Star Trek canon, I guess. They make it pretty, yeah, like Mandy said, they made it pretty clear. I don't need to know the details of what happened to Khan because I can already tell how bitter he is and how vengeful he is once he hears that Kirk is around and where he is. I get everybody's kind of story from the get-go. I think Kirstie Alley's character being a sister of Spock uh, was, I think, the only part where I maybe felt like context maybe needed to her, was needed to her existence, but at the same time, I, I, I didn't need that stuff. This is an interruption by the Aussie Supreme Editorial staff. This episode was recorded via Zoom. And John did not hear Holden say that Lieutenant Savick was Spock's sister at the time. Or else he would have corrected him. And all would be right in the world. Thank you for your time. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. And, and maybe this would shed some light on sort of Kirstie Alley's character. At the beginning of the movie, we come in, it's a training sequence, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Life support systems failing. Can you assist us, Enterprise? Can you assist Data us? on Kobayashi Maru. Subject vessel is third class neutronic fuel carrier crew of 81, 300 passengers. Damn. And that is the introduction of the Christiala character, who is kind of, in my mind, the representation of the audience. She's the one who asks all the questions that we would have. He kind of takes on uh, our avatar in the movie to sort of help guide us through this story. And I think the writers knew that going in. They knew that there were people that they would want to pay money to see their movie who did not know who Khan was, did not know what this story is. So they put a character in there that would help bring us into this world mm -hmm. if we had no previous context. Inform yeah. the Klingons we are on a rescue mission. They're jamming all the frequencies, Captain. Klingons on attack course and closing. Klingons on attack Mr. Sulu, get us out of here. I'll try, Captain. Alert. Klingon torpedoes activated. Alert. Evasive action. There is also the introduction of the overall theme of the movie, which is the idea of how do you handle crisis the simulation is basically designed to where there's nothing you can do to win. So it's a really important scene. A no-win situation is a possibility every commander may face. Has that never occurred to you? No, sir. It is not. How we deal with death is at least as important as how we deal with life, wouldn't you say? That's how we get into the movie. I don't want to go into depth on the rest of the plot. Knowing that it's from the 80s, a movie that's very much of its time, the effects are all effects from that era like we're a couple of years past the original star wars and, you know like things are starting to kind of develop it's all optical effects you know it's it's very much of that time knowing that does it hold up to these current action films well it depends on how you define that i feel like i think there's a little bit of a disconnect there because i think what this film suffers from at some point is performance because i don't know like me coming in blind i'm not convinced by kirk's performance i'm not convinced by nimoy's performance i'm not convinced by khan's performance it all has to be taken as like this is a time capsule looking into what this 
was in 1982. Like, and so to refer someone to this movie, that kind of has to be communicated as like, that's the thing that you have to grapple with. Like if it, if it, like, are we talking about it holding up to a new Star War, uh, Star War, Star Trek movie? Or are we talking about it holding up in a sense that I can get something from it today? I feel like that's, to me, is the selling point of these movies. It's, it's the thing that makes them interesting is watching these characters and how they interact. Come. You still remember, Admiral. I cannot help but be touched. I, of course, remember you. What is the meaning of this attack? So I'm curious to know like, why you say you don't buy into these performances. I feel like I had to get into this mindset of like, this is how it was. This is how it was presented. Like, this is how people acted in that time. This is William Shatner. This is Leonard Nimoy. This is how they delivered their lines on screen. It's not just about line delivery, but it's also about character arc. And I wound up loving Kirk's arc of feeling old to feeling young again. And the hoops that he had to jump through to get to that feeling again. The suffering that he had to endure and the decisions that he had to make in dire circumstances to come to that realization that, damn, life is really good and I feel young again because I've I I beat this thing that was eating at me for this longest time. You okay, Jim? How do you feel? Yeah. I feel young. That's why I, I kept using the word silly earlier, because I agree with the first part of what you said, that it, it all feels very heightened. Like, it's a different kind of acting, right? It's not realism, necessarily. It's heightened. It's very physical. I I was laughing. I think mainly when I was laughing was when they were kind of throwing themselves all over. Um, that's the low budget. The, <laughs> that's the low budget nature of it, you know? They had well, to jump and around not, instead of have a whole shaky thing. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're sitting in a chair and they have to convey that stuff's blowing up. Sure, and, and I'm not, I'm not disparaging it. it. Maddie, I mean, you're going you're gonna to be jostled. You're going to be jostled. <laughs> I understand the jostling. No, it's just... And and almost the fact that it does take itself very seriously is kind of what makes something funny. Mm. Come, bloodsucker. You're going to have to do your own dirty work now. Do you hear me? Do you! Kirk, you're still alive, my old friend. Still old. Friend. You know what I mean? And when William Shatner is just giving it his all and screaming Khan's name and just... Okay, that's my favorite part. <laughs> Buried alive. Buried alive. Khan! Khan! Is a fantastic... Like, ironically or truthfully, <laughs> that's your favorite part. I love that. Uh, I have that nostalgic sensibility to it like where i've always loved this so coming into this for the first time seeing this like with fresh eyes you see this kind of silly a a place where we both kind of giggled was in khan's last moments he gets very king james version bible talk with kirk and we both laughed at that because it wasn't only his the way he was performing the lines, but it was the lines themselves that were a little bit humorous. Well, a lot of it was Moby well, Dick at that point, right? To the last, I will grapple with yeah. thee. From hell's heart, I stab at thee. For hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee. He's been quoting Moby Dick this entire time, right? So he's going to go out in his last moments quoting Melville. Which, like, is he saying that to his Instagram live feed? Is it going to followers? Is he going to get a pat on the back as soon as he blows people up? And people are going to be like, I really, you know, Khan, I really like the way that you were quoting Moby Dick the moment before you atomic bombed those people to hell. He's an interstellar hipster with 
shiny chest. Well, and also when when Chekhov when they discovered the Botany Bay, that's one of the books on the shelf is Moby Dick. So you can imagine that Khan was just sitting there marooned mm. for how many years, just reading Moby Dick over and over. Nerd. Khan, he's been genetically modified with superior intelligence and super strength. Yeah, it looked like he was in Motley Crue. And he he's a uh, played by Ricardo Montalban. I don't know how old he is here. I think he's in his 60s, and he is shredded. Ripped. He has got a chest that doesn't quit. Is that a chest? There was a lot of speculation that, that maybe that was a like a rubber suit. chest? Right. It, it it's looks, not. It was so shiny, and it looked like he had chest <laughs> implants. Like, they were stick... Like, wah, ha. That it looked... Whack. It is his real chest. He did push-ups all day, every day to get that chest. He's in his 60s, and he looks great. And he he's a great actor. <laughs> Even though y'all think he's silly, I think, I think everyone in this movie is fantastic. I think they're all at the top of their game. But I also, I just love William Shatner. I love Kirk. I think that I love that whole character. So I'm, I'm an easy sell for this movie. Mm. Let's talk about Spock's death. Okay. No! You'll flood the whole compartment! You'll die. Ah, he's dead already. I've seen this movie 87 times, and every time I watch it, I still tear up to this day by how this is handled. Yeah, I think that was probably my favorite scene in the movie. Don't grieve him, It's logical. I thought it was pretty how it just looked like they were shoulder to shoulder. I think that made it more touching is that they were right next to each other. But that I think that makes it all the more harder. Harder is that they are right there. There's just a thin veil keeping them from each other from having a last embrace or whatever those two guys would do uh, in a dying moment. William Shatner gets shit on a lot for his overacting, right? Mm-hmm. This movie came out 35 years ago, 37 years ago. There's been plenty of time for him to just be chastised to death for his overacting. This moment, it's such an intimate moment between two best friends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree, and I think it also ties into earlier scenes between Kirk and Spock that make it all the more powerful. I have been, and always shall be, your friend. I think it was kind of funny how they poised Spock as a very priestly figure early in the movie you catch him whatever his wardrobe is is black with like a white collar and he's standing in front of an infinity mirror that's like poised (laughs) around his head so that you could just see back beyond him and i feel like that kind of poised him as this holy sacrificial kind of character and i kept that in my head as we moved forward And it kind of came to fruition when we have that death scene where he's sacrificing himself for the betterment of everyone else. The one for the many. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Or the one. I think, and I don't want to skip ahead to what we're maybe going to talk about next too soon, But I think the reason that scene is so impactful is because it is Spock who sacrificed himself. From my perspective, as someone who doesn't know the whole Star Trek canon and doesn't know these characters very well, Spock is kind of a very pure person. You know, he doesn't have all of those messy emotions and he does always have good intentions, right? And so it's kind of like the pure, wholesome, innocent one is the one who sacrificed himself. And... (laughs) From my perspective, not really enjoying the character of Kirk, you know, it kind of like is another punch in the gut that Kirk gets to go on living after he's, you know, made all these mistakes. And then Spock is the one who is sacrificed. Okay, well, we have to kind of pause there and get into this. Why don't you like Kirk? Let me read you my notes. (laughs) Okay. It's so great that we have these notes. This is the first that has come up and. I've got to know. Yeah. Let's see. I wrote, boo-hoo, your life's so hard. I wrote, cool, you cheated, whoop-de-doo, about the Kobayashi Maru and the scene where 
you know, we find out how he's the only one who's ever beat it and won the no win scenario. And I'm like, what? He cheated? That's it? Like. I reprogrammed the simulation so it was possible to rescue the ship. What? He cheated. I changed the conditions of the test. Got a commendation for original thinking. I don't like to lose. Anyway, I wrote, never faced death. I think one of the other characters said that about him at mm-hmm. some point. Maybe his son said that. Yeah. I kind of enjoy how much his son, who doesn't know he's his son, hates him so much, uh, at least at first. And then I wrote his lack of remorse and regret over the kid who died, the trainee working with Scotty. Um, Scotty's nephew. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like we're all living in Kirk's world and he's just going to you know, do what he's going to do. And to me, he's a very selfish character, at least in this movie. Okay, well, let's go through this point by point. And this Great. could potentially be the whole podcast. We'll just cut everything else out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go back to your first point. Boo-hoo, your life's so hard. <laughs> and I'm, I'm guessing this is near the beginning where yes. he's lamenting that he's old. Okay. Yeah, first of all, he's not old, so well, chill. He's at the end of his career. He's gone and seen and done many things. And I think that anyone kind of at the end of their tether, I think that that's something that you carry with you as as you kind of get older when you feel like perhaps the best of your life is behind you. Sure, but everyone feels that way, right? So why am I supposed to feel bad for this dude? I don't think you're supposed to feel bad for him. I think it's just to sort of set up, set him up as kind of where he's at in his career. Sure. I also think that a few of the characters reflect your sentiment towards Kirk. And I think Bones is one of them who comes in and is kind of like, welcome to the club, man. Right. Get back your command. Get it back before you turn into part of this collection. Before you really do grow old. Yeah, you feel old. Uh, Doesn't it feel like a demotion to be promoted? Uh, Don't you feel like you're not doing as much, sitting, doing training? His promotion takes him away from his ship, which is where right. he wants to be. Exactly. I think that's also can be a sentiment that's reflective of today, not having work, feeling out of use, lamenting that things have changed and therefore you have changed, I think has an effect on people. Yeah. I also just don't really empathize with the character of Kirk. And I don't know if that's because it's William Shatner and if it was someone else, I would, or if it's just, I don't like Kirk. I don't think he needs to be the main character of this series. You know what I mean? Like I'm much more interested in a lot of the other characters than I am in Kirk. What was your next next point? Uh, cool, you cheated whoop de doo <laughs> On the Kobayashi Maru test. Yeah. That to me just reinforces the fact that no one can beat that test. You're that voice of reason. You're the the, the reality that's sort of kicking in. How are you going to deal with like a real situation where you can't cheat? I think that's why I just keep calling a Kir- Kirstie Alley's character. What's her name? Savick. Savick. I think that's why she comes in. If we're talking about her representing the audience's curiosity I think that's why she comes up and asks it, because she's expecting some grand answer. It's going to solve the riddle of how do we get out of this mess and how is everything going to be okay? You've solved the Kobayashi Maru test, so now tell me how you did it so I can feel better. Right. So we as an audience can feel better about how you. what's your plan? What's your plan to get out of this? And I feel like when he says, I cheated, this means that... There is no hope here because you. Uh, uh, I learned this great thing. You're a lauded man for your accomplishments for cheating, and now we're about to have to. I'm about to have to get in a ship with ship with a cheater. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep in mind that he still has other accomplishments outside of you know hacking the the Kobayashi Maru test. That kind of sets that up is like kind of how he thinks about things. Like if you're gonna fight dirty, here's my dirty. If I can't win this test. I'm going to change the rules of the test. And I dictate the terms. There is no no-win scenario. And that's how he approaches his being a captain, which makes him so interesting to me. Sir, you did it. I did nothing. Except I cobbled my britches down. I'm getting senile. The second uh, kind of homework assignment in with this was to sort of 
look at the current iteration of these movies with J.J. Abrams' uh, Star Trek II Into Darkness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you don't know the, of The Wrath of Khan, this is going to feel like a new movie. These are going to feel like new characters. So people my age are going to have all of this baggage coming into this movie because we, we know and we love this original story. In Into Darkness, they flip the scene. Instead of it being Spock, it's Kirk that goes into the warp core. Right. Mm-hmm. It's Kirk that dies. Is that death as impactful to you as Spock's death in the original Wrath of Khan? No, because like I said before, like Spock is kind of this, you know, more innocent, well-meaning, you know, even though he and Kirk do have friction in this version, I still am rooting for Spock. So if you flip it and now it's Kirk, I don't care as much. Mm-hmm. It, to- it totally removes the gravity of the situation when like right after that he wakes up just kidding and he's he's fine fine, and all the doctors are like you're doing fine we got the we got the we got the con blood you just know in your bones (laughs) that they're not gonna kill off the lead actor in a franchise like that yeah no it sort of cheapens the whole scene to me whereas you feel the weight of spock's death you see it all over shatner's face Mm -hmm. you feel none of that in into darkness i remember watching something where they just talked about kind of into darkness being kind of like we threw some plot lines onto the floor and we connected them with ribbon and that ribbon was kind of the justification of all of these actions trying to make them all connect at some point we were playing connect the dots with the plot line and I felt like that was just kind of another uh, another sympathy move. I didn't really feel like, yeah, I didn't really feel like that was a meaningful moment. I, I don't feel like I'm bringing anything new. I just, I, I, I agree. I don't feel like it was anything moving. And I think it's this sort of paint by numbers approach to current movies. Mm-hmm. This Wrath of Khan takes mm-hmm. a chance on something. And so that inherently creates its own stakes as a viewer. Like you kind of feel right. that it is, it is palpable. Whereas all modern, or at least the modern day equivalency of this, everything's going to end up okay. Everything's going to be fine. Kirk's going to be alive. They're going to save the day. This is all just made for me to mm-hmm. devour right. popcorn right. and have a good time. Yes. Right. And I think, especially when J.J. Abrams is involved with something, I know that it's going to pick and choose from some already existing form of something, whether that's Star Trek and whether he's picking from Wrath of Khan and just kind of making things available for, ah, I like that when the thing Oh, that's from the movie I watched before. <laughs> he does that with Star Trek. He'll do that with Super 8. He'll do that with Star Wars. Like, if you see his name on it, I know the terrain that's before me. I don't need to see it. I don't need to click my flashlight on to see in the dark because I can already expect what's going to be there. Just to wrap it up, at no point did I feel like that there were any stakes there. I didn't feel like the character of Khan landed, uh, that there was no real importance to him being Khan as there was in the first one. I don't think it worked. To me, it didn't work. I I think J.J. Abrams even talks about wishing that he hadn't pulled in all of those references to Wrath of Khan so much. Well, because I think the Wrath of Khan not only is a great Star Trek movie, I think it's just a great movie. It's one of my favorite movies. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to hold it in an esteem that if you're going to try to pay homage to it, like, be respectful of it, of and I don't think that Into Darkness does. I think it. I think it. Uh, it just doesn't work, in my opinion. Well, here's a big here's a big difference to me that stuck out most of all was how much face to face physical interaction Kirk and Khan have, as opposed to just being and interacting with each other through the video interface on different starships like that i they they don't ever see each other face to face in that in wrath of khan at all and i thought that was a difference was like i feel like if i mean knowing what khan actually did at the end of into darkness um 
letting that be, but like seeing Khan work side by side with Kirk and in into darkness, I didn't necessarily believe based off of the Khan that I knew from wrath of Khan. And I feel like if you didn't know Khan from wrath of Khan, you wouldn't know the importance of Khan in into darkness. I don't feel like Khan would have worked alongside so willingly I know it's to a selfish end. It seemed like a completely different character. Yeah, it seemed like he didn't need to be that. He could have been somebody else. Who had no relation to the Enterprise, to the cast of the Enterprise. Oh, and I guess this is the younger version of them all, so I guess they could have just played it off as he's never met Kirk before in his life. Yeah, so that's, that's a good point. It's something to consider, I guess. But, you know, if it is their first interaction, that's... Fine, that would have been an interesting story to tell, but like, you know, they could have left it at that. They didn't have to do the whole Kirk Spock death scene. Mm-hmm. Khan doesn't have to have magic blood to bring him back, you know, to life. Mm-hmm. So now that Star Trek has cured death, where do you go with that? That's true. <laughs> it could have been their first interaction. They could have done something fun with that, but then they chose to try to kind of go more along the lines of what, what, what the Wrath of Khan does, and it just doesn't have the same impact. And it really just kind of took me out of the movie. Well, and he, here's the thing that I think is important in the difference between the cinema of today and what you were watching in the 80s was that that was a time when risk was risk was everything. And it wasn't necessarily riding on the back of of these production companies trying to poise things in a money-making manner. They were willing to take risks. They were willing to kill off a character. They were willing to do this, that, and the other. They were willing to put these types of movies that either flopped or were cult successes or were commercial successes out. And that's where I feel like this great golden, I don't want to say the golden age of cinema, but like this, this, this age of like independent movies of these, you know, you've have amazing horror films coming out in the eighties. You have all of this. And then that's also met with the blockbuster craze of the 21st century of Marvel movies, of superhero films, of these sci-fi movies that when I think about Star Trek and I think about risk and I think about, do I, do I feel like there's any mortality to this story? I do I wind up not feeling that because of the pattern of superhero movies, because of the pattern of all of this, because I know a studio movie is going to want to make money. I know they're going to want to bring this back for another one. They're not going to kill off their main person. They're going to want to hold all of their cards and they're want to going to, they're want to gonna, they're going to want to play it safe. And that in the 21st century ruins me ever connecting with a film like that because I know that there's going to right. be something larger over the hill and it's going to be fine. They're going to get 15 movies out of Robert Downey Jr. before they off his character. <laughs> yeah. This was the second movie in the Star Trek movie series. Like it had its life on TV. Mm-hmm. They're trying something out. The first one didn't do well. They wanted to make money with this, but mm-hmm. they still did something pretty bold, which is care is kill off one of its principal leads. This kind of takes us into a trivia section. So they killed Spock because Leonard Nimoy did not want to do any more of these mm-hmm. films. Yeah. He, he thought that he this was going to be his last one. Test audience didn't react well to his dying. He was a fan favorite. So they retroactively added two moments into the movie to sort of tease that maybe he was coming back. He does end up coming back, spoilers, but he works out a deal to let him direct the next movie. This upset William Shatner a little bit. Lord. Leonard Nimoy gets to direct the third one. It is not great. (laughs) The good Star Trek movies are the even numbers, and the bad Star Trek movies are the odd numbers. (laughs) That's funny. The third one is directed by, this is a little bit of trivia, the third one is directed by Leonard Nimoy. It's It's not a strong entry in this film series. William Shatner gets his chance to direct the fifth one, and it is even worse than... Oh my god! The third one, they're not they're not great. Two Wrath of Khan is great. Four Final Frontier is great. Star Trek Four is actually titled The Voyage Home, not The Final Frontier. This is an unforgivable mistake, and John is beside himself with grief and anguish. The Voyage Home is a great Star Trek film. 
The final frontier, unfortunately, is not. Six undiscovered country is really, really good. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one bit of fun trivia for you. Here's some others. Um, I've probably got more here than we want to go through. Some of these we've already covered. So this is Kirstie Alley's first film. Um, at this time, she was on Cheers. I don't know if you guys remember that show or if you've no. watched it. Yes. She was supposed to take over Spock's role in movies to come after this movie. She was going to be the resident Vulcan. She accepted the role of Savick because she was a super huge big fan of the television show. Um, she wore the Spock ears outside of shooting. She wore them all the time just for fun because she's method actor, I guess. <clears throat> We've talked about Ricardo Montalban's chest being thought that it was fake. He's 62 years old and that is his real chest. It's amazing. I still can't believe that. You could bounce a quarter off of those pecs. <laughs> I think he's got a good PR team. Here are the actual taglines for the movie. All right, are you ready? Yes. Prepare yourself for warp ten excitement. Mm. Sure. Who was their <laughs> Who was their marketing guy? Well, I think you would have to know what warp ten means. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm sure that's a speed that you go. Right, ten is the fastest you can go. The second tagline: At the end of the universe lies the beginning of vengeance. I like that one. All right, some other quick trivia for you. The computer simulation of Genesis transforming a dead planet into a habitable one is the first computer-generated sequence ever used in a film. Oh, shit. That's cool. Kim Cattrall from Sex and the City was Mm -hmm. the first choice to play Lieutenant Savick. She was uh, busy with other things, probably um, Porky's. The film opened Friday, June 4th. This was a summer release in 1982. Uh, it earned $14 million in its opening weekend. I don't know what the adjusted inflation rate would be, but that was huge then. Uh, its initial release earned $79 million in the United States and $97 million worldwide. So that's kind of the numbers we're dealing with in the 80s compared to now. Like if your movie doesn't make a billion dollars, it's not con- you know it's not considered a, a runaway success. It was the sixth highest grossing film in 1982 because it was behind Poltergeist came out. E.T. was number one. Uh, it actually beat the thing uh, and Blade Runner. That brings us to the end of our Star Trek discussion and brings us to our game <laughs> because we have to figure out who is going to pick next episode's movie and is going to take us through that movie and be the host of that episode. I'm so, so nervous right now. Um, who wants to go first? Maddie should go first so I can get my dice just in case. <laughs> All right, Maddie, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Okay, so Holden, you need to remove your headphones and sequester yourself from the room. Do I'm not listen to her answers. Do not cheat. I'm, I might, I might go to the bathroom too. So, all right, go to the go to the bathroom. Have yourself a good time. Ow. Okay, Maddie. Yes. Are you ready for our our game? I'm so excited about this game. I am too. Okay. I studied. So I think he's gone. All right. Yeah. So let's start. Okay. Question number one. Mm -hmm. What is McCoy's nickname? Bones, right? Yes. Very good. What alien species is Spock? Vulcan. Good. What is the name of the test at the beginning of the movie? Kobayashi Maru. You're doing very well. (laughs) And how did Kirk say, you've already brought this up, but how did Kirk say he beat the Kobayashi Maru? He cheated. (laughs) There you go. Now, these are going to start to get a little bit a little bit harder. Okay? okay, good. What was the name of Khan's ship that was marooned on SETI Alpha 5? Bonnie Bay. Oh, you are 100%. All right. Told you I what is it? What is the name of the science vessel where we meet Carol Marcus and learn of the Genesis Project? Rit. Oh, I said it earlier. Rit. <laughs> it starts with an R. It does start with an R. I'll give you that. And it ends with one. Correct? I will also give you that. Correct. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can I look at my notes? Is that cheating? You cannot. That is cheating. Dang it. it it's like Regulus or something, right? That's Rom- very close. Remulus. Romulus. Regula one. There you go. You, got it. <gasps> you just Dang. beat the clock. All right. Oh, man. What is Kirk's son's name? David. What song was played at Spock's funeral? Uh, something, something Scottish. <laughs> um, oh shoot I'm just going to be guessing 
Amazing Grace. Oh, you got it. Oh, my Did goodness. I really? Yeah. <laughs> All right. And you'll probably get this one, too. What instrument was it played on and who plays it? Oh, it was Scotty on the bagpipes. My gosh. You might go 10 for 10. Speaking of Scotty, okay. what is his position on the Enterprise? Oh, dang it. He's like an engineer. Okay. He, some kind of engineer. He does, he like radiation warp core. Okay, I'll give it to you. It's, <laughs> he's the chief engineer. Oh, yeah. So you can stay here. Let's call Holden back in. You went 10 for 10. So uh, if he goes 10 for 10, will he then go into sudden death tiebreaker? Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, Holden, welcome back. Holden, I'm just going to let you know, you have a pretty steep uphill climb. Maddie went 10 for 10. Okay. You ready? <laughs> no. My test anxiety is trickling in. If you go 10 for 10, we will go to a sudden death tiebreaker question. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Question number one. What is McCoy's nickname? Bones. Very good. Very good. You're probably going to get this one. What alien species is Spock? Vulcan. Good job. What is the name of the test at the beginning of the movie? The Kobayashi Maru. And how did Kirk say he beat the Kobayashi Maru? He cheated. Okay, number five. What was the name of Khan's ship that was marooned on SETI Alpha 5? The name of the ship. I don't know. You don't know? No. Number six. What is the name of the science vessel where we meet Carol Marcus and learn of the Genesis Project? The Regala one. <laughs> um, that's close. Regatta. Is that, can you that pronounce it? Ricotta. That sounds like <laughs> cheese, like I put on my pizza. Ricotta is a ricotta cheese. Ricotta with the Dakota cheese. You were close. The, the, the Regatta. <laughs> He's on the Reliant, and they get on the r Regalia. <laughs> I did the same thing. <laughs> It's already downhill. No, she got 10 for no, 10. No, you're doing fine. And number seven. What is Kirk's son's name? <laughs> Colt McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> Close. It's David. Okay. Number she, eight. You know, she, you know what? Maddie's really good with names and details of things. She's very attentive to that. Number eight. What song is played? We're just going to keep going. I want to see how many you missed. <laughs> mm -hmm. What song is played at Spock's funeral? Um, that Celtic bagpipe song. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the name of the song. I can hear it. I can hear it. It was Amazing Grace. Oh. Well, no, that wasn't the song That's I was okay. hearing. Uh, what instrument plays amazing old, old scotsman's bagpipe okay and then who plays it scotty there you go good got that one number 10 what is scotty's position on the enterprise he's the engineer i'll give that to you he's the chief engineer chief, but you did get that chief engineer maddie with with a score of 10 out of 10 is this week's winner <laughs> do y'all want to hear the tiebreaker questions i'm kind of curious to see if you can get them yes okay Name the ship that Khan captures and uses to attack the Enterprise. Oh, that could have that could have been my savior question. The Reliant, <laughs> Starship Reliant. Don't let me answer. Notes. I'm I'm trying to find if I wrote down Botany Bay. I knew that one too. Um, why was the Reliant orbiting the planet SETI Alpha Six, or what we thought was SETI Alpha Six, and became SETI Alpha Five? They wanted to shoot their seed down onto the planet. <laughs> That's a very phallic, masculine thing to do is to see some barren land and to go, I'm going to put my stuff on it. I'm going to make some more of me on there. Okay. I'm gonna, and I'm going to call it Genesis because I am God. Wow. Powerful missile tip. Oh. <laughs> That's in my notes here. Oh, all of that is 100% true. Unfortunately, as entertaining as that was, Holden, you still did not win the game. 
I am happy to say that, Maddie, you are the champion this week. And we would like to know what movie we will be watching. In keeping with the theme of nostalgia, The Little Rascals. I couldn't tell you what happens in that movie, but does it have a character named Alfalfa? Yes, of course. So the 1994 Little Rascals. Yes. If you're following at home. (laughs) (laughs) Watch Little Rascals, directed by Penelope Spheris, and we will be talking about that movie in our next episode. First off, I expect there to be a uh, dropped ice cream cone. (laughs) I expect there to be a red radio flyer wagon. Okay. I expect there to be a suspender snapping slapstick jokes. And I'm I I bet they won't take no shit from no parent figure. What parent figure? Are they orphans? Are they homeless? I can't Are they homeless children? Yeah, and spoilers. They're homeless children? Is that why the kid's wearing the hat that's too big for him? This is one of your favorite movies? This is the nostalgic growing up you loved this movie? Yes, this is maybe the movie that I've seen the most out of. I've seen it several dozen times at least. Next week we will find out why you love this and we will give our thoughts and feelings on The Little Rascals. (laughs) Sounds so silly. (laughs) It's a fun time we had by all. Yes, quite. That was English. A fun Fun time will be had by all, I'm sure. A fun all will time have. I didn't mean for that to sound so condescending. Okay, so Little Rascals next week. Like, should we watch The Sandlot for comparison? (laughs) If you want to. You see, what's different between The Little Rascals and The Sandlot is baseball. There's a dog. There's a tub and there's a little tubby kid. Let's wrap this up. We've been talking for 19 hours and uh, I think it's time to shut her down. Shut her down. Shorter day. God, I hope I get it. I hope I get it. How many people does he need? God, I hope I get it. I hope I get it. How many boys? How many girls? God, I hope I get it. I hope I get it. How many people does he need? How many boys? How many girls? How many people does he need? I really need this job. Please, God, I need this job. I've got to get off this podcast. <laughs>